excited to uh, get to look um, and really hear from the Lord uh, through 1 Corinthians uh, with you all this morning. Uh, if you think about really the past two Sundays, we've been in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians for the past two Sundays. We'll finish it up today. Uh, in the last two Sundays, that really the first part of chapter 10, Paul's just been very clear and very bold, right? First, he, he very clearly gave this warning against idolatry, right? Looking back to our forefathers. And then last week, there was this very clear call to flee from idolatry. And, and so um, one of the things Jim mentioned, I think it was last week, is that Paul at times in 1 Corinthians, you kind of wish that he was a little bit more black and white. And that's where he's been the past two weeks with just these very clear, uh, very bold calls um, not to participate in idolatry. Um, and so we've seen that and really last week, uh, that section, verses 14 to 22, the focus was on eating and drinking in the participation of idolatrous worship. He said, don't do it. Don't eat. You do not have freedom to cross that line and to eat in those ways because if you do, you're participating in idolatry. Well, what we look at today is really interesting passage. And in verse 25, he's going to say, eat in this situation. Verse 27, he's going to say, eat. Both of those times he emphasized your conscience is free. But then verse 28, he's going to say, don't eat. But it's not about your conscience. It's about this other person's conscience. And so eat, eat, don't eat. And at first glance, as we read through this, you, you might wonder, well, what is Paul doing here? What's going on? Is he waffling? Thanks, Jim. Is he, can he, can he not make up his mind? Are we supposed to eat? Are we supposed to not eat? Like, what, what do you want us to do in this situation? He tells us to be considerate of conscience. He speaks of our own conscience, and then he speaks of the conscience of our neighbor. And so we wonder, well, is my conscience free or is my conscience bound by my neighbor? Do I have to do what their conscience dictates rather than my own? If I listen to their conscience, is my conscience still free? These are the kind of questions that we'll wrestle through as we read this passage. But go ahead and stand. I'll get a sip of water here, and then we'll read God's word. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Father, this is your word. We are thankful for it. God, you have spoken to us in it, and we ask that you would speak to us now. Lord, give our hearts understanding that we would believe, that we would follow, Lord, that we uh, would hear you in this, your word. That is what we need. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 11, 1. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But... If someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is the word of God. Amen. You may be seated. A couple years ago, I heard something, well, I read something and heard it at the same time, um, but it was a paradigm shift in regards to parenting. And one of the things I've learned through just a couple years of parenting is what you learn in parenting really applies to your own life <laughs> just as an adult as well. Um, and this was from Ted Tripp, uh, who wrote the book Shepherding a Child's Heart, which is a great, uh, very helpful book, probably the most helpful book on parenting that, that we've read for us. Um, but he gives some, some wisdom, some biblical wisdom in regards to parenting. And he, he lays out a situation uh, that, that's all too common where kids will, you know, there's a toy or there's something and one has it, but then another wants it, right? And, and maybe they take it, maybe they don't, but, but there's, there's bickering, there, there's a little bit of a fight that ensues. And, and he, he points to really what is the most common response, I think, at least in my experience, what is the most common response to that is for someone to come in and how do you solve that problem? Well, you ask, who had it first, right? And so that you're kind of trying to figure out, well, did you steal it from them? If so, give it back to them. It was theirs first. You should give it to them. It's a great question. It's a fine question, right? We should be interested in that. But he, he really points to a, a more wise way of handling that situation that gets a little bit more beneath the surface. And what he, what he touches on is that instead of asking, whose was it first, we should really look at both children and say, are you loving the other child? Are you considering them? Are you putting their needs, their desires above your own, or are your desires above theirs? Because even if it was yours first, if you're being selfish, you're being selfish. And so when we ask who had it first, we're really asking a question of rights, right? Who, who is in the right here? Who has the right to this thing? But if we ask, are you being kind? Are you being loving as God has called you to be? We're getting at something different. Now, like I said, that's, that was a paradigm shift parenting-wise, but right, take it out of the parenting realm. <laughs> I think we often ask the rights question. We ask who had it first or something in that regard rather than thinking, well, God is calling me to be loving, to be kind, to be considerate, to put this other person above myself. And I think that's where Paul takes us in this passage. And so if you look at the outline that you have, first we're going to look at verses 23 and, and 24, which, which really are abundantly clear. Right? Seek the good of your neighbor. Like there, there's, it's, it's just abundantly clear, and it's the principle that Paul is calling us to. But then he's going to apply that to a specific situation. The situation of eating food offered to idols. And this is something he started back in chapter 8. And it's, it's kind of carried through these several chapters. But again, he's going to say, eat, eat, don't eat. He's going to give three examples. And through these three examples, he's going to illustrate the intersection of our freedom in Christ. But also of a consideration of conscience. How, how does our freedom of Christ and how does a consideration of conscience, how do those go together? And so at first, even as I read through this uh, in, in the past weeks, it, it's kind of like, what are you saying, Paul, in these verses? But I think as we meditate on it, it'll become more clear. And then after applying it to that situation, he's, he zooms back out to the general principle again. 
And, it be, and he really echoes what he said at the beginning, but he adds to it. And in essence, what he says in 31 to 11.1 is live Christianly. Live Christ-likely. Live like Christ, who is the one you're following. So let's look at that first section, verses 23 to 24. So Paul starts here by quoting a Corinthian saying, and um, it's, it's kind of ironic or interesting that the last sermon I preached in 1 Corinthians was chapter 6, where he starts with the same exact phrase. And so he does this in chapter 6 when he starts talking about our bodies. He does it here as well. And so he says, all things are lawful, but then he responds to it twice. And, and Paul isn't so much negating the phrase, all things are lawful, but he's really fine-tuning the understanding of it. He's saying, well, yes, all things are lawful. Paul is a, a champion of our freedom in Christ, right? We can't read what he's saying and not think that, but he wants to fine-tune it. He wants to add to that understanding. And so he gives us two qualifiers, if you will, in 23. He says, not all things are helpful, and then not all things build up. So we ought to do what is helpful and what builds others up. And then if, if, if you're hard-headed like I am sometimes, Paul just says it again very bluntly in verse 24, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. You, you can't get much more clear than what Paul says there. And so the first thing we need to see here is that this is God's call on every single Christian. Right? This is God's command for every person who is a follower of Jesus, that we would consider others, that we would seek the good of others and not just ourselves. And that this isn't a negotiable thing. This isn't something for elite or special or really, really, really mature Christians. This is something that God calls all believers to, to put the good of others above our own. I remember in high school holding a, or hearing another believer um, kind of illustrate this, this idea in a very practical way. He said, really, there's two types of people in the world. There's the type of person who walks into a room thinking, how can I get these people to think about me and talk about me and look at me, right? And they, they walk into the room and their focus is on themselves. But then there's another type of person who walks into a room of other people and says, I'm here for these people. What do these people need? What can I learn about them? How can I serve them? And so really when we walk in, we think about ourselves, and sometimes that's the prideful kind of illustration I just gave. Sometimes it's the fearful route that, that is much the same, but it's about yourself. But then there's the type of person who walks in considering others. And what Paul's saying here is that Christians, we, we are that type of people. We are the type of people who look to others and to their needs and their desires, and we're here to serve them. Again, Paul is not disinterested in our freedom in Christ. He's not disinterested in what is lawful. Just remember what he just talked about last week. He said, this is a line you cannot cross. He's concerned with what is lawful. But here he wants to add, don't only be concerned with what is lawful, also be concerned with what is helpful, with what benefits others, with what advantages them. Be concerned with what builds them up or strengthens them, edifies, encourages them. Others should be more strengthened and edified by being around us that's what he's saying and seek the good of others not just of yourself even if you just think for and pause on verse 24 let no one seek his own good like really like that's really what you're calling me to God let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor it's incredibly clear 
But it's incredibly difficult to do what Paul, what God through Paul is calling us to here. And it's difficult because this is the opposite (laughs) of so much, right? Just think about Corinth. Think about what we've learned about this church in Corinth. This is a difficult thing for them because it's the opposite of so much that's going on in this church, right? This church is divisive. They have jealousy and strife, which Paul talks about in chapter three. They're bringing lawsuits against one another, right? In chapter eight, when he first brings up eating food offered to idols, he's saying, those of you who know you have this freedom, you're doing this, but to the destruction of your brothers, right? This is the church that he's writing this to. This is the opposite of much that's going on there. This is the opposite of much of what's going on in the world, right? The, the water that we swim in culturally is different than this. I was looking at um, something on Lowe's yesterday, and, and you've probably, if, if you've looked at Lowe's, you've seen or heard their kind of latest um, marketing scheme. You know, DIY means do it yourself, but they're saying don't do it, don't just DIY, do it for yourself, like they're just adding to this. It's about you. Do everything for you. Do all of this for you. The focus is on self, not upon others. So it's the opposite of everything around us. It's the opposite of what's inside of us often. And just, just reflect on your last week. Maybe reflect on the last couple hours of this morning on your way to church. Were there things that happened this morning or yesterday or this week that would have been so different if you sought the good of others than your own? Would your interactions at work had been different? Would your conversations with friends or families have been different? Would your instruction or discipline of your children have been different? Children, would your respect for your parents had been different if you considered their good rather than just your own? John Calvin puts it this way, we should not be so devoted to our own interests that we are not prepared to forego part of our rights as often as the welfare of others requires it. As often as the welfare of others requires it. And so I sent it out in the email this week if you read that, but what is the fundamental question that you make decisions through daily? What is that grid that, that you process things through, sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously? Is it, what do I get out of this? What comforts are added to me? How do I get full exercise of all of my rights? And what does this do for me? Or do you ask, how can I bring about the good of those around me? How can I bring about what is good for the people that God has placed in my life? Again, this is incredibly clear in this passage, but it's incredibly difficult and but by God's spirit at work within us, it would be impossible. I'm guessing that several of you have worked as a waiter or server in a restaurant. That's a common job for many. Uh, my second and third job uh, were, were being a waiter uh, here in town. And uh, it's a great job to have, at least at one point in life. Um, but this applies to other jobs as well. But being a waiter, if you think about it, the, the, your, your job is to engage and serve the people who walk in and come sit at your tables. Like if, if that's not what you're doing, then you're really not doing your job, right? And you've all had an experience at a restaurant where you go and it's just a phenomenal waiter, right? It, it's just, they, they know every need of yours before you even have it. You don't have to ask for things. They just see it and they just are there to make sure that you have a wonderful meal. You've also had the other situation, right? Where you walk in and it just seems like this, like, why are you here, waiter? Like, you, you, you don't care about anything. You, you don't notice anything that we need at our table. And you just seem oblivious to us. And when we experience that, 
Like, I just think like there's something seriously wrong in that situation. If you are my waiter, if that's your job, if that's what you're getting paid for, but you have no concern for me as I walk in. Now, that same mindset, though, I think what Paul's saying is that should be our mindset as believers in the world. Seeing a, a Christian who does not look to the interests of others should be the same, like we should have the same reaction to that as we have to seeing a waiter who doesn't care about the people who walk into the, the doors. Like that, that is, Paul's saying in some ways, we are the waiters, we are the servers of the world. It's hard, but it's clear. Again, this is the principle that he's calling us to. Now, in 25 to 30, he's going to apply this to the specific situation that's going on in Corinth. And as we go through 25 to 30 here, I just want you to ask, what is the issue? What is the issue that Paul is addressing? What is the issue in Corinth? So in the first two scenarios, verses 25 to 27, Paul says very clearly, we have a free conscience. So eat, okay? We have a free conscience, so eat. The issue in 25 to 30 is freedom in Christ. It is freedom of conscience. That's what he's concerned about. And so scenario one, he says, you're at the market in Corinth. You buy some meat. Scenario two, an unbeliever invites you to dinner. You go and he sets meat before you. Both of those situations, Paul says, you are free. Your conscience is free. You don't need to worry if that meat was offered to idols. You don't even need to ask that question. Just let it be because you are free in Christ. And he, he says in verse 26, he gives his reason. He quotes Psalm 24. He says, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so he's saying, you don't need to worry if that meat is offered to idols because it's not tainted by that idolatry if it was just previously offered to idols. In fact, that meat belongs to the Lord. Because everything is his. He made it. It's his. It belongs to him. So just eat and enjoy it. And don't worry about asking all those questions. Just enjoy what is set before you. He said the same thing back in 8.8. We are no worse off if we do not eat. We are no better off if we do. In, in other words, what Paul is saying here is to eat or not eat is not a sin issue. It's not a matter of sin. You can eat. You cannot eat. It's not sin either way. You're free to do whichever one you want. So just go ahead and eat and enjoy it. And again, if you think about last week, <laughs> this is incredibly different, starkly different than that passage last week. To eat in an idolatrous worship is to participate with demons. But here he's saying, if that food was just offered to demons, that's not participation. You don't even need to worry about it. Don't fret. Don't let your conscience go there. Just eat. You're free. So that's the first two scenarios. But then scenario three in verse 28 is different. Again, kind of the same situation as scenario two. You're at, at an unbeliever's house. They set meat in front of you. At this point, eat. You're good. Don't worry about it. But then the person sitting next to you leans over and whispers, hey, did you know that this food was, was offered to idols? Like that meat that's in front of you, it, it was offered to idols beforehand. And for Paul, this changes everything. Instead of saying eat, now he's very emphatic, do not eat. But why? Well, I think we can ask, who does Paul have in mind in verse 28 when he says someone says to you this? He's not specific. I mean, it, it could be a range of people who might say this. But especially if we go back and read chapter 8 and think about what he says there, 
in chapter 8, he has in mind a weaker brother, a fellow Christian whose conscience is weak and they don't know the freedom they have in Christ. Like that's probably who he's thinking of here. So again, you're at an unbeliever's house, meat setting before you, and a fellow Christian who's sitting next to you is worried about it. They say, hey, this food is, is offered to idols. So what are we to do in that situation? We're to not eat. And Paul says in verse um, 28, don't eat for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience of their conscience. So again, let's ask the question, what is the issue here? Well, the issue here in this scenario is not freedom in Christ. I mean, that's, that's kind of there because we've already talked about it. But the issue here is different. Is this a sin issue that he's talking about? Is it a sin issue to eat or to not eat in this situation? Well, yes and no. <laughs> no, it's not a sin issue in the sense that you are free to eat, right? He just said that. So that's still true. You, your conscience is free regarding the eating of it. But it is a sin issue to the person sitting next to you, right? The, the Christian who's sitting next to you says this, they actually think that if you eat this, you're participating in idolatry which is the very thing Paul just talked about so emphatically in the previous passage. So to them, it's a sin issue. To you and, and really objectively to the Lord, it's not. But kind of what Paul, where Paul takes that is he says, if you eat in that situation, it actually is a sin issue because you're not loving your brother. And to not love those around us, guess what? That's a sin issue. So it's, it's complicated, but, it, but hopefully that, that makes sense. So does this negate Christian freedom? Does this negate the freedom of the one who's there, who knows that they're free? I think Calvin puts it well. He says, liberty remains unimpaired when you accommodate yourself to your neighbors. It is only the use of it that is restricted. And I think that's spot on with what Paul's saying. He's saying, you are free to eat and that freedom remains intact. You are fully free but he says, why don't you restrict the use of your freedom? Like, just give up the use of it because you want to love, care for, build up, do what is helpful for your brother. Romans 14 is a very similar passage to this one. And some of what Paul adds there I think is helpful for us as well. He says, it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. He, he goes on, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith and whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So one of the things Paul envisions there that could happen, I think could happen in, in this situation in Corinth as well. You're there, you know you have freedom, you eat and the, the, the believer sitting next to you doesn't think they have freedom and maybe they follow you into that. Right? They're encouraged to eat because they see you eat. And what have they just done? They just ate not from faith. They just violated their own conscience doing something they thought was forbidden by the Lord. But they were encouraged by following you. Now that's not the only thing that could happen though. The other kind of way that this could get wonky, if you will, is that they see you doing this. They, they see you doing what you are free to do and all of a sudden they bring condemnation and judgment because they think what you're doing is sin. And he's going to get to that in just a second. But what Paul says in Romans, what Paul says here chiefly is what he's been saying in verse 23 and 24, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Are you willing to restrict what you are free to do for the good of neighbor? 
Again, what is the issue? Well, for the believer next to you, it's sin, it's idolatry. That's what his conscience is convicted upon about this. He doesn't know the freedom he has in Christ. But for you, the issue, well, you have a free conscience. Christ has given you that full freedom. But the issue is love. The issue is selfishness. The issue is service. Are you above your neighbor or are you putting them above yourself? So then in 29 and 30, Paul wraps up this, this example with two rhetorical questions. And I had to, I think it's kind of confusing maybe at first glance. Like, what, do, what are you saying in these verses, Paul? What are you asking with these questions? So verse 29, he says, uh, why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Now, the word determined here, if you look at I, the other four or five translations I looked at all use the word judged in their translation. And that's what the word, it can mean a variety of things, but judged, determined, evaluated. I think if, if we see that this is the word judged, I think it's really helpful though. Why is my freedom, why should my liberty be judged, be condemned by someone else's conscience? So again, I think what Paul is saying is if you eat in that situation, putting yourself above your neighbor, what will happen in their mind? What will they do? They will see what you just did as sin. So they will be looking upon the exercise of freedom in Christ, but they will actually condemn it. And Paul says, well, why should that be? Why not just restrict your liberty so that it's not spoken of slanderously, so that it's not spoken of as evil? Romans 14, 16, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Leon Morris says, the action which to the strong is a simple exercise of freedom must not be made the means of offense to another. Then he asks the second question, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Why am I slandered because of that for which I give thanks? See, if, if you restrict your freedom, then, then what you do in freedom won't be spoken of slanderously. But what he's saying here also can be taken and applied to the weaker brother, right? To the weaker Christian, they might hear Paul here saying, hey, if, if your brothers are partaking of this food with thankfulness, don't, don't speak of it as evil. Let them have their freedom in Christ. So he's really pushing against both sides here. But Christian, how free are you in Jesus? How free has Jesus made you? Well, just from this passage, you're free to eat food offered to idols. It's probably not something that you encounter on a day-to-day -day basis, but, but you're free to do that because the idolatry in the past doesn't taint it because it belongs to the Lord. So you're free. You're free even to not need your freedom, right? You're free to be able to restrict your freedom out of a concern for others. You're free to willingly give up freedom. You're free to not be a slave to your own freedom and rights. That is radical. And to, to restrict your freedom does not mean that you don't have freedom. It's not, restricted freedom is not fake freedom. Because <laughs> restricting your freedom is really about your behavior, right? It's about what you do. But freedom is about your convictions. It's about your conscience, and so there, there are different things here. Paul said the same thing back in Rome, in, in, not in Romans, here in 919. He said, though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant of all. It's the same thing he's saying here. You can think of Timothy in Acts. 
He was free from needing to be circumcised. He didn't have to do it. There was absolute freedom for him not to be circumcised. But what did he do? He went and was circumcised so that he could reach others. In Acts 21, Paul was free from ceremonial cleansing. He didn't have to be ceremonially cleansed in Acts 21, but he did it for the sake of others. So Paul, Timothy, both of them in Acts give up freedom. They restrict freedom for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of others. So brothers and sisters, you are so free. Your conscience is free to not worry about whether idolatry has tainted or touched something. But you're also so free that you don't need to always exercise your freedoms. You're free to say, it's okay if I don't get my freedoms right now. It's okay. I'm free to be concerned about others rather than just myself. So after this, Paul zooms back out to the principle. Again, he, he hits this specific situation. He zooms back out in verse 31. And like I said, in essence, he says, live Christianly. But what does it mean to live Christianly? Well, first, it means that life ain't about you. It means that your life is about God, not about you. And so he says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all for the honor. Do all for the recognition. Do all for the sake of the name of God, not for the sake of your name, of your reputation, but for his he says, whether you eat or drink, again, that's the context. He's saying, whether you eat, whether you don't eat, whether you restrict your freedom, whether you get to use your freedom, either way, just do it for God's glory. Do it for his name, not just for yourself. Let his aim, not your own ends, be your aim. But he expands it further from just this specific situation because he goes on to say, or whatever you do, do all. So there's nothing in your life that is not worthy of being done for the glory of God. There is no detail that is so mundane in your life that's not worthy of being done for the name of God and for his honor. Every square inch of your life for his honor, for his glory. So one thing that you can think about, this is something I've heard from a friend and, and coworker in past, is a simple question you can ask about anything you're doing is, what does God say about this thing? What does God think about this thing? And if you, if you process through that question, which, which by the way, the, the answer to that question has to be driving you to the word, right? Don't just make up what God's thinking about it, but go to scripture with that. But if you process through that question, how does God think about this? That's gonna help you do things for his glory because <laughs> you're considering him, not just yourself. Well, the second thing that he says here is to seek the good of others. Again, this is the same thing he said at the top of the passage, but he's repeating it here at the end. He says, give no offense. So do things in a way that are not offensive. Now we've got to remember the beginning of 1 Corinthians where he talks about the message of the gospel is offensive. Right? Christ crucified is a foolish and offensive message. So he's not just saying, hey, don't give offense at all. He's really saying, don't be a jerk. Like, don't give offense because of your own selfishness. Not, let, the, the gospel will offend people. Let it be. That, they've got to take that up with the Lord. But don't let them be offended just with you, <laughs> with your own selfishness. And he says, give no offense to Jews, to Greeks, or 
to the household, the church of God, to fellow believers. Restrict your freedom for the sake of Jews, Greeks, and fellow believers. He then states it positively. Aim to please everyone else. He, he points to himself. I, I aim to please everyone in everything I do. Again, notice the, the totality of that. Everyone, everything. But Paul says, look at me. I'm, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to put others above me. I'm, I'm seeking their advantage, not my own. Again, look back at chapter 9, verse 22, where he says, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Paul is a man about the benefit and the advantage of others. And he calls us to the same. And to what end? Well, the very end of chapter 10, he says, that they may be saved. And this is so clear that the salvation of others should be and is more important than our own welfare, than our own rights, than our own freedoms and the exercise of them. He says, seek their good so that they may be saved. Live Christianly. Have, have the glory of God and the good of others at the forefront of your mind. Let those things weigh on your heart. Let that be the grid by which you think about your day-to-day -day activities. Now, if we do that, if, if God's glory and the good of neighbor are at the front of my mind, giving up my rights, giving up my freedoms becomes easier, right? Giving up rights and freedoms is hard. But if, if my goal is God's glory and others' good, it becomes much easier. Now, Paul finishes this passage by saying, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. All throughout the last couple of chapters, Paul several times brought up his own example. And he does that just now. He says, this is what I'm doing. I'm not calling you to something different than I'm doing, but look at me, follow my practice, do what I'm doing, follow in my footsteps. But more than that, I'm following Jesus in that. I'm really just inviting you to follow Jesus, but I'm helping you along the way. Right? We need that same thing in our day-to-day -day lives to have others' examples that we can look to. But I think what we most need to see in the end of this passage is that this call, this invitation, this command to a life that is about others and not about ourselves is really uniquely Christian. No other religion or way of life says it quite like Paul says it here. You're not called to, to live for others in any other path, any other religion, in the way that Christ calls you to do it. Because what Paul says here is that this is what Jesus did. Why are we to willing, why, why should we be willing to restrict our freedom? Why should we put others' advantage above our own? Why should we seek their good instead of my own? Because that's exactly what Jesus did for you and me, right? We're not just doing this just because, we're doing this because we're following Jesus. And if we, if we call Jesus our Savior, if we call him our Lord, that means that we get to follow him. That means that like literally there are things that he did that he invites us to do the same in. Just as he gave up his rights, he invites us to give up ours, just as he put your advantage above his own, if you will, he invites us to put others' advantage above ourselves. This is uniquely Christian, right? Jesus, God, the eternal son who dwells in glory and has no needs and spoke everything into existence, him, 
He restricted his rights. He gave up his comforts. He thought of you and me and all of his people across all time and culture. And he said, I'm going to give up so much so that they would be advantaged, even that they would be saved. The very things that Paul points to here. So brothers and sisters, Jesus has sought your good. He's still seeking your good. He still has your good in his mind. And he's bringing about what is good for you. We've benefited from him. So let us give thanks for that. Right? Let us remember that, especially as we partake of the symbol of him giving that up, as we taste of that. But let us also take our cue from him. Let us live Christianly. Let us live Christ-likely. Let us follow in his steps as he did that for us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We ask that you would apply it to our minds, our hearts, and our lives. And God, we ask that you would benefit many uh, who are not here, our neighbors, our, our communities, our families, our coworkers. God, benefit them through us. But Father, we also pray for our own body here. We ask that you would help us to seek each other's good and not just our own. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you have our good in your mind. We thank you. We ask for your blessing. Amen.